0: I want to welcome you to church this morning here in Mesa, in Awatuki. If you're watching online, glad to have you. Listen, if you're watching online, if you're not sick, we want you back here. Amen, church? We want you back here with us. There's nothing better than being with God's people. So we're going to continue our series, Live Like a King, Studying the Life of David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to read a longer passage here, so follow along with this so you get the whole plot line. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, thirty thousand in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, drums, electric guitars, etc. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside uh, the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark uh, the Lord to, back into my care? So David decided not to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The Ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of a ram's horn. Okay, so this passage is a little bit longer, but I wanted you to get a feel for everything that happens here, and I want to talk to you today on the subject of obedience. This message is called Obey Like a King. Obey Like a King. This passage is really about obedience. Now, in our society today, having to obey someone is oftentimes viewed as a loss of freedom, is it not? In fact, for most people, their goal is to get to the point in life where they can be their own boss and they don't have to listen to anyone. And that's kind of like the dream that most people really have. And I get it. I understand. I hate rules, church. Okay, I'm just confessing to you. Your pastor is a natural rebel. I'm a rebel at heart. and God knew this. He knew what I needed. Uh, God always gives us the perfect medicine. Amen. So he sent me as a young guy to a Christian school, Christian school, which was a little more strict than public school. Right. And in the Christian school, if you did something wrong, you broke one of the rules. You got demerits. Uh, does this sound familiar to anybody who maybe grew up in a school like this? Maybe you grew up in a Catholic school, Christian school. If you got enough demerits, you got detention. And if you had enough demerits, eventually you got the paddle. Okay, I don't know what household you grew up in, but I got spanked growing up. Why are you so excited I got (laughs) spanked? But listen, this is one of those like high speed paddles with holes drilled in it so that there would be less wind resistance. You know, and God knew I needed discipline in my life as a young rebel. Apparently, whoever was swinging that paddle needed to swing it harder cuz I didn't learn. So then God with his sense of humor sent me into the army, okay? And in the army, when you break the rules, it does not go well for you. You find yourself mopping floors and running long distances and losing sleep. And when you lose sleep, listen, you get a brother's attention. Okay? Now, now God, he knew what I needed and that's what really helped me get back on on track. It's like the harder your head is, the the bigger the hammer God knows he's going to need uh, to help you out. And he gives us what we need. Amen. In this part of David's story, it teaches us about obedience. Now, at times, David obeyed God. And at other times, he didn't obey God, just like us. He's not perfect. And our scripture passage here shows us that nobody is exempt from the need to obey God. Kings, queens, presidents, regular folk like you and me, we all have to obey God. Amen. Amen. You don't seem super excited about that statement, but stick with me. You're going to understand. And I know when we talk about the word obedience, for some people, it already starts to stir up and invoke feelings of resistance and distrust. Right. And and I get that. We're going to talk about that. But I want you to understand today that obedience does not cost you freedom, but rather it brings you freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Now, in this passage, we see that God, he zaps Uzzah. Uh-oh. He, and this exemplifies for us the high stakes of obedience. So I'm going to make five points of emphasis to you this morning. And this first one's the longest. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you don't take notes, you can write this down. Here it is. Don't mistake God's commands for suggestions. Don't mistake God's commands for suggestions. We live in a world of relativity today, okay? This is kind of our our liberal uh, world where, where kind of the mindset says, hey, what's right for me might not be what's right for you. In fact, the world says, speak your own truth. And I'm just kind of confused. Is your truth allowed to be different from the truth? Like, do we have to turn off the logical part of our brain that recognizes facts uh, because we want to make everyone feel okay and not risk offending anyone? I think that is kind of the way it's becoming. It seems the worst thing you can do in the world today is tell someone they're wrong. Am I right? It's like the cardinal sin. Do not do it. But really, we see that with God, there are only two options, only two options. There's his way and the wrong way. His way, the wrong way. A lot, of, a lot of you now, OK, I'm just gonna be really honest for a second. There's some Christians even who think that it really goes like this. There's my way and there are God's suggestions. But really, there's his way and the wrong way. And God's commands are not Suggestions. Now, the Bible gives us a lot of guidelines and a lot of commands. I, I could call them rules, which are meant to help us and protect us. There is not a command for every possible scenario that you might experience in your life. So God doesn't give us specifics about everything that we're supposed to do. So rather, he teaches us principles that give us guidance. And he, he gives us wisdom through the Holy Spirit so we can make decisions for the things that we encounter in life. God's not going to tell you where to live. Arizona, obviously, is the best place in the world. God's not going to tell you where to work. He's not going to tell you what house to buy or who exactly you should marry. Most of you, maybe some of you, he told you who exactly you should marry. God's not going to tell you which sports team you should root for, the Cardinals. Duh, obviously. If you're not, you need to repent. But he gives us guidance. He gives us guidelines. And some of these specifics that he does give us, they're meant to help us and lead us towards life. The longest chapter in the Bible, listen, the longest chapter in the Bible, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Psalm 119, it's all about obeying God's commands and regulations and his guidelines. Psalm 119, verse 93, it says, I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. Life comes through the commandments of God. So, for example, in this passage we just read with David, 2 Samuel 6, They were moving the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark where God's presence dwelt. In these days, God's presence rested on the Ark. That is where you had to go to be in God's presence. And only one person in the whole nation and the whole world could go into God's presence, the high priest. And this was a very sacred place. It was a sacred object. We can't quite wrap our minds around everything that that means. But God gave very specific instructions for how to set up the temple, the tent of meeting, how to move the sacred objects. And specifically, there was a right way to move the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and for example, here's what it says. Numbers four, verse 15. The Kohathites, the Kohathites, they were a clan of the tribe of Levi. They will come and carry these things to the next destination, but they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. That's pretty serious, right? How many of you, your job description at work includes the words, or you will die? Some of you, I don't know, like what kind of dangerous job you have, but you better be getting paid well. The Kohathites, they were the only people who were allowed to move the sacred objects. And there was a specific way they had to do it. The Ark of the Covenant was like a box. And inside of it, there were sacred objects. And there were actually these poles that went through special rings at the bottom of the box. And you had to insert the poles and then carry the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the Kohathites. They were the only ones that could do it. It was a specific way they were supposed to do it. But David, did you catch this? All the people, they ignored that commandment. What did it say in the passage we read? They put the Ark of the Covenant onto a cart, onto a cart. They put it on a cart like a piece of common luggage. Rather than obeying God's commands, they disobeyed. They did it their own way. Now, I don't know why they decided to do that. Maybe the Kohathites wanted the day off. And they're like, we don't want to carry the ark today. Now, listen, God would have been justified if he smoked the entire group of them. Like, he, he told them what to do, and they ignored him. Am I wrong? Like, God, he would have been justified if he decided, I'm going to punish all of you, you little ingrates. Right? But he didn't. He didn't do that because he is a merciful God. And he's always been a merciful God. He does not give us what we deserve. Aren't you grateful for that? He doesn't give us what we deserve. He spares us what we deserve. And rather, he gives us what Jesus deserves as followers of, of him. But the the oxen begins to stumble. That's what we read. And Uzzah, our boy Uzzah, he puts out his hand and he's going to steady The ark, that's his his thought process. He touches the ark of God, and we already read, if you touch it, you will die. What part of that did you not understand, Uzzah? I don't know. If you touch it, you will die. He puts his hand out, and the result of his disobedience and irreverence for God is death. He dies. It said in verse seven, uh, then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there uh, beside the ark of God. David was angry, because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, to burst out Perez Uzzah. This is the same root word that we talked about last week, Baal Perazim, Perazim, the Lord who breaks through. And in this passage of the Lord, he broke through Uzzah. Listen, you want to be the one who God is breaking out before, not the one he's breaking out against. But when you disobey God's commands, what happens is you're making yourself like an enemy of God. Is there anything in your life where you may be acting like an enemy of God rather than a a friend of God? Disobedience is enemy activity. So that's a good moment for self-evaluation. This is how serious it is. Uzzah died because he did not obey God's command for the proper way to move the ark. And God burst out against him the way that he burst out against the Philistines. Now, we gotta understand, Uzzah probably had good intentions. How many of you have ever said, well, I know I did the wrong thing, but I meant well. Like, that sounds like human nature. That sounds like something we would say. I don't know if if even the garden was like, I meant well, like I knew my husband was hungry. You know, Uzzah thought he was going to help God out. He put his hand on the ark. He's like, whoa, there, God, I got your back. And God said, no, 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 I gave you commandments already. And it wasn't just a matter of disobeying a simple command. But what Uzzah did violated the very nature of God's holiness. And by disobeying God and touching the holy object of God, where God's presence dwelt, he violated the fact that sin cannot enter into God's presence. God could not withstand that and allow that. It's not possible for sin to enter his presence. So, boom! It was dead. He died. And I think that is partially because of familiarity. The passage we read said that the ark had been staying in Uzzah's house. Now, if you're getting up in the morning, you're brushing your teeth next to the ark of the covenant. You might become a little bit familiar with that object and maybe not have the proper reverence that you should have. And there's different reasons for why it was there. We're not going to get into that. But isn't it true? The, the saying can be very true that familiarity breeds contempt. And the more familiar you get with with things that you should be holding with reverence and awe, man, it can make it easier to take those things for granted and lose respect. And I think what Uzzah did is he lost the fear of God, he lost the fear of the Lord. And he's like, Well, I meant well. I was going to just help. But listen, let me just encourage you with one thing God doesn't need your help. You understand that? God does not need you to prop him up, he props you up, he helps you. It is not your responsibility to defend God's reputation. Uzzah thought, well, I was going to help God not fall and and embarrass himself in front of everybody. God's like, no, 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 you don't got to worry about me. How many of you know if God can save you, he can take care of himself? Just be reminded of that, because sometimes I think as Christians in this world today, people start talking trash about our God, and we think we got to throw down. Listen, God does not need us to defend him, church. Isn't that good? Knowing that God is the baddest dude on the planet, in the universe, he can take care of himself. He doesn't need me to start a Facebook war defending his honor. And I think that sometimes we lose the fear of God like Uzzah. And in fact, I was listening to a survey that was conducted, a survey that was, was really reaching out to pastors who had had extramarital affairs. I don't know where you find that group of people, but I was interested to hear what they had to say. And they were, they were asked, how did you get in to that, that spot? That seems like such a, a hard place to get for a pastor. And they said the common theme was that it started when they lost the fear of the Lord. They lost the fear of the Lord and they started to think, well, God will understand. He knows that I'm under a lot of pressure and and they started to act like maybe there were special rules for them. And like, you might listen to that and and wonder like, how is that even possible? But when you lose the fear of the Lord, it leads you into danger. Psalm 119 verse 120 says, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. I stand in awe of your laws. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I don't want to fall into the hand of your judgment, God. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into the hands of God and and face his judgment. I don't want to sin and let God down or let God's people down. I hear that passage and I I just make so much sense. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord, it will keep you out of unhealthy situations. The fear of the Lord, it's kind of like fearing driving off the edge of a cliff. It's good for you to fear the Lord in this way. And so maybe you have questions like, well, how do you fear the Lord? We're saved by grace. Should we really fear the Lord? And here's a question. How do we view the commands of God now that we live under the New Testament covenant of grace? Good question. I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to answer that now. Uh, Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. From these commandments stem the entire Old Testament's collection of laws and guidelines from God's prophets. Uh, Everything that God said is really driven uh, from these ideas. It's first interesting to note what drives the commandments of God. It's love. It's love. Love the Lord your God. Love people. That is the thrust of God's desire for us. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love people. These guidelines come from God's love, not God trying to steal our fun, but God loves us. And that's why he gives us commandments. And so here's the command of God, uh, love him perfectly and love people the way that he loves them. How many of you are like, oh, easy, no problem. I got that. You lied, so you already broke the commandments, right? We're supposed to love God perfectly, and he knew that we could not do this. And under the Old Covenant, uh, the Old Testament law, if you broke God's, God's commandments, ultimately you would face death. You would face punishment the way that Uzzah did. That's kind of an example. But Jesus came. He fulfilled the law of God and all the commandments so that we could be saved by grace. Now, under grace, I hope you hear this. Under grace, the standard is not lower. The standard of living is higher. Okay, God says, if under the law, you could do this, and you were supposed to do this, how much more should you do under grace when the spirit of God lives inside of you? How after God sent his son to die for you, could you take the attitude? Well, I can do whatever now. That's crazy. That's crazy. The standard is higher. The standard is higher. But listen, the stakes are different. Because if you're a Christian saved by grace, it's no, matter, uh, it's no longer a matter of life or death. It's a matter of being blessed or being cursed. If you're a Christian, following God's commandments are a matter of being blessed or being cursed. Now, I'm going to explain that. God does not actively curse us. He does not curse anyone. But everything outside of God's domain is inherently affected by the curse of sin that is in this world. And when you come to the Lord and you submit your life to him and you follow his commandments, it's like coming out from the storm underneath the umbrella of God's authority and protection. That results in your blessing. He protects you rather than you suffering the effects of the curse of sin, which was where we were in the first place. So when we don't obey God, it's like we're saying, no, thanks. I'm gonna stay out here in the storm. I'm gonna keep this part of my life out here uh, from your protection in the storm. I know hail is hitting, me and I'm about to get struck by lightning. Uh, But rather than obey your commandments, I'm going to do my own thing. Does this make sense? Like, I hope, I hope you're gathering this. Uh, If you're struggling in life, if you're really struggling, um, it might be just chance. It might be just a circumstance, but it could be that you're doing something. It could be that there's disobedience in your life and that that struggle, it could be because you're treating God's commandments like suggestions. And I want to encourage you not, not to make that mistake. Don't mistake God's commandments for suggestions. Here's the next point of emphasis. Obedience is the byproduct of trust. And if you're skeptical of authority and you hear God's commandments and, and maybe it's hard for you to trust authority, you're like, why? Why should I do that? Uh, verse 6 said, the oxen stumbled. Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Uzzah thought, I'm going to help you out, Lord. And, and, and I need you to know, God, he doesn't need our help, and we need to trust him that he can take care of every situation. He is control. Obedience results from saying, even if I don't understand, even if I don't agree with what God said, even if I don't like it, even if I don't like it, I'm gonna trust God to be who he said he would be and do what he said he would do. I'm gonna trust him. And here is what you have to understand. If you trust God, it will cause you to obey him you will obey him. Even if you don't understand what he's doing, even if you don't see exactly what he's doing, you will obey him. Have you ever had to obey a law or a rule that didn't make sense to you? Okay, nobody besides me, like every time I drive the speed limit, I'm obeying a law that I don't like. It doesn't make sense to me. Why can't I go faster right now? I know I can handle it. Trust causes us to obey. It's hard to trust authority sometimes, but trust is founded on the knowledge that God is good. In order to trust God, you have to understand that he's good. You might have had an authority figure in your life that was not good. Maybe you had a a pastor, a father, a government official that you witnessed fall. Maybe a mother, a teacher, a babysitter, someone who was not good, who, who compromised your trust. But you have to understand, church, God is always good. He's only good. And so you can trust him. It's not that he might be good. It's not he's good if he does what you want. He is good. It's a fact. You can trust him. Even if you don't know why he's doing what he's doing, you can trust him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. It's hard to trust God sometimes when you don't know what he's doing, isn't it? Think about what Noah went through. God told him to build a boat to survive a flood. He had never seen rain. That took trust. It took trust. And when you hear God's word, when you read God's commandments, you might question them like, what? Really? Really? I gotta, I'm, not supposed to, I'm not supposed to covet my neighbor? Like, I'm not supposed to covet this stuff that he has? Really? I'm not supposed to gossip? I mean, is that a big deal? Come on, God. Like, everybody gossips. It's just chitter chatter. Like, is that really a big God, why? Why? And here's why. I'm going to tell you why you should trust. Number three, this is the third thing. Obedience always brings blessing. Obedience always b- brings blessing. In verse 11, it said, The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed... Obed-Edom and his entire household. So David was scared. The ark, uh, this whole thing happened where Uzzah tried to touch the ark and he did and and God killed him. And so he was like, oh, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this. He hid the ark in this guy's house, Obed-Edom. And then later he goes home back to Jerusalem. He hears, hey, you know how the ark is in that guy's house? Yeah, that guy is like winning right now. Like everything he does is just like a success. And David, he's not dumb, right? He might've had bad moments, but he's like, wait a sec. I need to get that thing where I live. I want God's blessing in my life. I want God's blessing in my household, in the city where I govern the nation. So he's like, let's go, let's go get this thing. Now, why did it bring blessing to Obed-Edom? Because wherever God's presence is, there is blessing. God's presence was in the household of this guy, Obed-Edom. Could you imagine if God said, I'm going to make my throne room in your living room? Some of you are like, I'd have to stop watching some of the shows I watch. But seriously, this guy's house, it was blessed. Everything was blessed. Like rain fell on his neighbors, but a lot of rain fell on Obed's house. Like the neighbors had some crops, but Obed's crops were bountiful. Obed's wife got pregnant with triplets. Obed's team won the Super Bowl. Like he could not lose. And Dave is like, I got to get God's presence where I'm at. The closer you get to God, the more of God's blessing you'll experience in your life. And obedience is the thing that brings us near to God. It's the thing that causes God to draw near to us. I'll say that again. Obedience brings us near to God. I'm going to explain this. Leave Leviticus chapter 26. I'm going to read you a little passage here that exemplifies this, this truth. God says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest and the grape harvest will overlap with the season of plants and grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. I will give you peace in the land and you will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of the land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. Come on. That sounds amazing. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword. I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying your people. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I will live among you and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Isn't that good? God's good. And I believe the principle of this passage is still applies to us today. When we obey God's commands and when we follow his decree, his decrees, we experience his blessing. The way we experience his blessing, we receive his presence. He's near to us. He said, I'll walk among you and be your God. We experience his protection. He protects us from the enemy. He protects us from our own stupid mistakes. He said to his people, I'm going to keep the enemy out of your land. How many of you say, I want the enemy out of my business? Yeah. He says, I'll protect you. And then you'll experience his provision, his provision. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide all that you need. You're going to be eating grapes when the grain harvest is coming in. In other words, you're going to win. You're going to have stacks on stacks. Like God's like, I'm going to provide everything you need. You're going to have to give money away because you're going to have enough. You're going to have enough at all times. That sounds good, but it's contingent. It's if Then, if you obey, then you will experience my blessing. And the converse is also true. If you do not, it's not going to go well for you. And so, maybe you got to think about that when you hear God's commandments. Some of them are warnings against sin. Okay, I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm not looking to guilt trip anyone, I'm looking to help everyone in this church family understand God's commandments and the blessing that comes. When God warns you against sin, maybe your natural reaction is to be like, well, really, why is it that big of a deal, right? Like God is not trying to steal our fun. He's trying to protect us because he loves us. So when he says like, you know, hey, sex outside of marriage, not good for you. Uh, Pornography, it's an addiction that will lead you to despair. Uh, Getting a little drunk on the weekends when you party seems like no big deal, but it can lead to bigger problems. Gossiping, not good. Not going to be a blessing to you. Uh, Cheating just a little bit, right? Cheating just a little bit, still not good. And God's saying, I love you. I want to protect you. So listen to my commands. And then he encourages us. It's not just warning, but also encouragement towards doing what is right. So God's like, hey, you need to go to church. You need to be with God's people. You need to be in a life group because you need discipleship and you need friends and you need community. God says, I want you to be a generous giver, not a reluctant giver, a generous generous giver, and I'm going to bless you. He says, I want you to serve others the way that I have served you. He says, I want you to preach the gospel and tell other people about me. These are commands. They're commands that are clearly laid out in the scripture. And God says, I love you. And this is why I'm telling you to do this because I want to bless you. I want to use you. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to experience. I wonder how many of us might be missing out on blessings because of our own disobedience. And I don't, know, I don't know if that's you or not, but could you be the one preventing your own blessing because you've been ignoring God's commands? I don't know. What you have to find out is there is a snowball effect to obedience. There is a snowball effect. The more you obey God, the more you experience his blessings. The more you experience his blessings, the more you realize how good he is. The more you realize how good he is, it's easier to trust him. The more you trust him, the easier it is to obey him. and just keeps going and going. It gets easier. So just start, start where you're at and you'll experience a tidal wave of obedience flooding into your life. And you'll be like, man, it feels good to obey God. I like obeying God. It's not just that he's trying to, to keep me from doing things, but he wants things for me. I wanna obey him in other areas. Where can I obey God today? That's gonna to be the way you're thinking. Because if I'm not obeying him, I'm missing out on his best for me. So I'm asking you, is there anything in your life, if not, awesome, that's great. But if there is, Time to get back on track. Amen. Don't run from God feeling guilty. Run to the Lord and take refuge. Experience forgiveness and get back on track and experience his favor in your life. Second Samuel six, verse 12. So David went there and brought the ark of the God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. I want to make a quick point here. It's never too late to obey. It's never too late to obey. David allowed fear to stop him from experiencing God's blessing. He put the ark away in this guy's house. Hey, hold on to this for me. For three months, Obed was getting the blessing that God intended for David. David's no dummy. He said, I need to get that thing to my house. Let's go and remedy this situation. You need to understand it's never too late to obey. Don't let someone else receive the blessing that God intended for you. I don't want someone else getting my blessing. It's okay to be selfish in this way. I want my blessing. God's got plenty of blessing for you. I need to obey God and, and don't let fear stop you from obeying God. Fear stopped him. Fear stopped him. Maybe fear has stopped you from obeying God. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm afraid if I, if I get married to the person I'm living with and we'll have problems and I'll go through what my parents went through. Listen, follow God's direction. Maybe you're like, I'm afraid if I'm in a life group, people won't like me and they'll judge me and I'll feel bad about. Listen, don't be afraid. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm afraid if I, if I put God first and I tithe if I put God first in my tithe then I'm not going to have enough Fear fear stops a lot of people from experiencing God's blessing through tithing. let me just pause there for a second <laughs> <sighs> Trust God and believe that he's good enough to keep his word and listen it doesn't matter if you've been putting it off for 75 years it's never too late too late to obey and receive God's blessing in your life. if you believe it say amen. amen. All this talk about obedience, it could be easy to feel hopeless, could be easy to say, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to measure up and feel like you're not enough. I want you to understand this last and most important point. God doesn't expect perfect obedience, but the pursuit of obedience. This is very important. God doesn't expect perfect obedience, but the pursuit of obedience. David, he was scared. He's like, I've blown it. But I'm going to go out. I'm going to try again because I want God's presence in my life. I want that ark where I live. I want God's presence. I want his blessing. And so here's what we read. It's starting in verse 13, 2 Samuel chapter 6. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. Notice that now they were carrying it. They were doing it the right way. It wasn't too late to do it the right way and obey. David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So he, David, he's like, I'm going to try this thing again, but he was scared, okay? You have to understand, he was scared, and rightly so, because Uzzah got zapped, remember? So David says, we're going to do it. We're going to get the ark of the covenant where God's presence dwells back home to where we live. So what happened? They carried it the right way, and they took six steps, and then they stopped. Six steps, and then they stopped, and they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, I'm about to serve you up a little filet mignon of spiritual meat. I don't know how many of you are ready for that, but you're going to get it, okay? Up through step six, this was a journey defined by fear and disobedience and death. From step seven onward, it was a journey defined by joy and celebration. What changed? Well, I'll tell you what changed. In between step six and step seven, David offered a sacrifice. He offered a calf and a bull to be shed. And so the blood of this animal was shed as a sacrifice. And in the Old Testament times, blood was shed as sacrifice to atone for sin and to honor God. It's almost like David knew, man, I wanna get this thing home, but I'm not so sure I can do it perfectly. I'm not so sure I can do it without making a mistake and falling short of God's guidelines. So I need to ask him for forgiveness. I need to receive his blessing. We need the blood of these animals to be shed. So he took only six steps. That's as far as he could go. He's like, before we go any further, I need God's help. And you, under, you have to understand how important this is and, and how significant this is. In the Bible, oftentimes, the number six, it represents man and the imperfection of man's efforts. Ironically, the very next number, seven, often represents God's divinity and his complete perfection. In between the best of man's efforts, step six, and the perfection of God, the blood of his animals were shed. Do you think this might be foreshadowing of a greater narrative that was to come later? I think so. In our journey, we have this this ongoing process of trying to follow God and come near to him. And yet we find ourselves a long way from the goal and we realize there is no chance that I can achieve God's standard of perfection in my own efforts. Right. I can't do it. I will come up short every time. And maybe you're wondering throughout this sermon, Pastor, I'm not sure I can obey God's commands. What should I do? Well, I've got good news for you today. In between man's efforts and God's perfection, God the Father sent a man-God, God-man, Jesus Christ. He was a bridge between man and God, and he lived a perfect life in our imperfect world, which we could never do. His blood was shed to bridge the gap between our step six and God's perfection, right? And so Jesus did what we could not do. Here's what it says in John 14. Jesus said, but I do exactly what the Father has commanded me so that the world would know that I love him. Who else can say that? Who else can say I've done exactly what God has commanded me to do? Nobody! Nobody can. He's saying, so the world will know that I love him because we can't love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? But Jesus said, I did exactly what the Father has told me to do. First John 2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He became the perfect sacrifice. His blood was shed to cover our sin and our shortcomings and bridge the gap between our insufficient efforts and God's perfection. Listen, you can't perfectly follow God's ways, but you can follow his perfect son who is the way. Amen. So his perfect obedience becomes a substitute for our disobedience. His righteousness becomes a substitute for our unrighteousness. Up till Jesus, up till you met Jesus, your life's journey was defined by death and failure and disappointment and pain. After Jesus, from that point on, your life is defined by his life which is a life of victory and favor and joy and wholeness. So we can then pursue obedience. Not that we have to be perfect, but we can pursue obedience with joy because we know, we know we're saved by grace grace because Jesus lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. I'm saved by grace, not works. I can't boast about it. It's what Jesus has done. We can pursue obedience with confidence because we know Jesus has already taken the punishment for my sin. I don't have to live in fear of God's punishment. He's not going to zap me the way he zapped Uzzah. I don't have to come to church on Sunday afraid of getting struck by a lightning bolt because God already punished his son in my place. We can pursue obedience with assurance, knowing that God Has already forgiven us. He's favored us. He's adopted us into his family. And so we know that as we pursue Jesus, we're gonna find him. We're gonna be near to him. We're gonna experience his presence in our lives. And there is nothing better than being in the presence of God. In God's presence, there is wholeness. There is joy. There is blessing. There is life. Life abundantly for you and I. Amen. Let's bow our heads at this time. Wherever you're at, and I want to give you an opportunity if you need to experience salvation, if you know you need Jesus to bridge the gap between you and God, this is a moment for you to have the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior wherever you're at. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer and just follow this prayer with me and just kind of agree with me in your own heart. Just say, God, I need your forgiveness. I cannot live up to your standards. I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, into this world to live the life that I could not live. And yet he died a death on the cross so that I wouldn't have to. He took my place. He took my punishment. He took my shame. And Lord, I believe that you brought him back again and he rose to life on the third day so that I could have victory rather than death. I could have life rather than suffering. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. I want to follow you and your ways from this day forward for the glory of your name, Lord. Not to, not to earn your favor, but because I love you and you have first loved me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet at this time. God is so good. Amen. Hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer wherever you're at, in Mesa, Awatsuki online, I'm just gonna invite you to respond at this moment. Uh, we love to recognize and celebrate what God has done in your life. So one, if you accepted Jesus, when I tell get to three, shoot your hand up. Two, welcome to the family. Three, just shoot it up proud. If you say, that's awesome, sir. Thank you. Awesome, ma'am. So good. Over here. I love it. Hey, come on. Let's give God praise this morning. He's good. He deserves it. Don't be in a hurry to leave this place. Give him the praise that he deserves for saving us. Come on.